Part Three of Thralls of the Endless Night by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three. He heard her stop. He began to be able to see again. She was poised halfway up the head wall of the cut, her ears twitching. For a long time they stood that way, not moving, listening to the wind and the rolling pebbles and the soft padding feet of things that were hungry and hunting them. She began to move, almost without sound, back to him. Her lips formed the word, two, and her yellow head jerked back the way she had been going. Kirk nodded. He pointed off to the left and held up three fingers. Then he turned and started down the gully. The girl stayed close beside him. She was breathing rapidly, and her pupils swelled and shrank. They showed no fear. Looking at them, Kirk thought of Lil. Lil was right. She did have pink lids to her eyes, and they were beautiful. The shags followed them, two behind, three beside them beyond the thin wall of rock. Kirk had never been in the outer gullies before. He was too young. But he'd heard Pa and the older men talk about them from the time he was old enough to crouch beside the heat-stones and listen. Out here there were shags and scavenger rats and once in a while a rock-snake. Men of the settlement never hunted beyond the fringe. Beyond that was forbidden ground and pyroots. Nobody knew just where the pyrute colony was any more. Nobody wanted to know. Kirk's ears were stretched, sifting the tiny scattered echoes. His spread pupils sucked in every bit of dim gray light. His body hair was erect so that even his skin acted as a sensory organ, feeling the bodies of the shags behind them. They were getting close. The gully ended. Beyond it was a little space of tumbled rock with other gullies opening into it, and then a cliff built of great tilted slabs of gray stone. Kirk pointed to the cliff and started to run with the yellow girl beside him. Wind slashed sharp and thin across them. The echoes whispered like many tongues, and Kirk fought them and heard the two shags come onto the plain behind them running. The other three came out of the parallel cut. They came fast, and because of the curve of the plain they were a little ahead of the two humans. The girl said between her teeth, We can't make it! She was right. Kirk picked out the biggest boulder he could see and dashed for it. The leading shag was breathing on the girl's heels as he hauled her up after him. They were safe for a while, but it didn't do them any good. In this world, even shags would wait forever at the prospect of a square meal. Presently they'd start climbing, and when they did it was all over. Kirk didn't even have a weapon with which to fight. He looked down at them, five squat thick shapes with six legs, four powerful legs with claws, and two slender ones held in against the chest, armed with sucker discs for climbing. Five pairs of black eyes watching, hungry and infinitely patient. Five tucked bellies burning under pale, shaggy hair. He was looking at death. A strange, cold terror took him. 
He turned his head toward the yellow girl and saw the same thing in her eyes. They looked at each other, not moving nor breathing, thinking that they were young and going to die. He shivered. The girl's yellow body burned in the gray light. He moved. He didn't know why, only that he had to. He took her in his arms and found her lips and kissed them, roughly, with an urgent, painful hunger. She fought him a little and then lay still against him. One of the shags started to climb. Kirk saw it across the girl's shoulder. He let her go and walked to the boulder's edge and waited until the shaggy head was level with his feet. Then he crouched and struck in a way that he had never struck before. Blood spurted across his fist. The shag roared and fell backward clumsily, shaking its head. Kirk stood up and sucked in his belly and yelled. He felt savage now, but not afraid. The echoes howled eerily. The shag started up again and two more came with him. There was something queer about the echoes. They got louder and wilder. Men's voices shouting. Kirk couldn't look, but he heard the yellow girl cry, Pirates! He heard them coming closer, bare feet scrambling on rock. The shags came higher. He struck down, left and right. One beast lost hold with one sucker and fell into another, knocking it loose. They fell, clawing each other. The third came on. Kirk hit it. It slid its head aside and caught his wrist. The pain blinded him. He roared and beat at it, but the grip on his wrist pulled him to his knees and almost over the edge. The brute started back down the boulder, taking Kirk with him. The yellow girl slid suddenly in under Kirk and reached over and took hold of the shag's snout and peeled it back. The beast snuffled and squealed and chewed on Kirk's arm. The girl twisted harder. Blood began to spill down over the shag's teeth. It let go. Kirk began to hear slingstones whistle. The shag bellowed and took itself back down the rock, fast. The others were scattering away across the plain, driven by stones from expert slingers. Kirk and the girl crouched quietly, trembling and breathing hard. Someone called cheerfully. You might as well come down now. Kirk supposed they might as well. He climbed down, streaming blood from his torn wrist, with the girl scrambling beside him. The hackles were raised across her yellow shoulders. Pirates! Kirk thought about Pop and Russ and Frank being driven up that tongue of naked rock. Their own people had killed them, but the Pirates put them there in the first place. And there was Jock. Besides, they were Pirates. That was enough. Kirk felt numb inside. It might have been easier if the Shags had got them after all. The man who had called them was waiting, lounging back against a rock. He was no taller than Kirk, but he was a lot thicker and his hair was red. The bones of his face were heavy and brutal under his beard. His horny overlids were drooped so that only bright black slits showed of his eyes. He was smiling. It was a lazy, white-toothed, cheerful smile, but Kirk didn't like it. 
It made his belly knot up. "'What?' said the Pirute. "'The hell are you two kids doing out here?' "'Hunting,' said Kirk shortly. There were a lot of Pirutes among the tumbled rocks, four or five hands of them. The red Pirute had stopped looking at Kirk. He was looking at the captain's yellow daughter. "'Well,' he said, "'well, well.' He took himself away from the rock and came toward them. He moved slowly, as though he might be sleepy. Kirk didn't like that, either. He said, "'Let us go. We haven't anything to steal.' The Pirate chuckled. <laughs> "'I'm not so sure about that.' He was still looking at the yellow girl. "'No,' he said. "'I'm not sure about that at all.' He raised his hand and called the others in. Kirk knew he couldn't fight. He followed the leader. It was a lot colder in the Pyrrhute cave than it was back in the huts of the colony. Everybody kept close together for warmth, crowded around the scanty heat-stones. There was a moaning draft from somewhere that kept Kirk's hair stirring, and there were babies crying. Babies that didn't sound any different from the one at home. Kirk chewed up the last of his handful of pemmican, made of shag meat and sour berries, and was thankful for a full belly. The yellow girl crouched on the cold stone, not saying anything, her arms around her knees. The Pyrrhute women watched her out of hostile eyes. Samel, the red Pyrrhute, who had turned out to be some sort of an officer, watched her too, but his eyes were not hostile. "'Close-mouthed piece, aren't you?' he said. He threw a scrap of bone at a wiry black girl huddled over the heat and laughed. Sada, he yelled. Get her to give you lessons, will you? Everyone enjoyed that. Sada called him a name and turned her back. Samel's black eyes came back to the yellow girl. You won't tell us who you are. That means you're somebody. An officer's daughter, likely, maybe even the captain's. Some flicker in the girl's eyes must have told him he'd hit home. He jumped up and shouted. "'Hey, all of you, look here. We've got somebody. We've got the captain's daughter.' The mob stirred and moved in. People began to shout, to curse, and make animal noises of sheer hate. For a minute Kirk thought he and the girl were going to be torn apart. He shivered violently, and the hate was so strong in the air he could smell it. Samel pulled out his sling lazily and loaded it. The sweep of his arms stopped part of the crowd, and the rest quieted down, enough to hear him say, "'Hold it! Sit down, you fools! The girl's gold! We can buy things with her!' Kirk didn't get that word, gold, but he understood the rest of it. It was what he had told her himself. He wished the babies would stop crying. It was hard to hate these people so much when you knew they had kids just like the one at home, wailing in the cold. The mob relaxed sullenly. The captain's daughter spoke suddenly, very clear across the muttering quiet of the crowd. "'You can't buy your way into the colony with me. They'll kill me, like they did the three Hans, only this time, and they won't wait as long.' She was telling the truth. 
Samal didn't like it, and Kirk liked it even less, but she was. The muscle twitched under Kirk's eye. It was a hell of a world. You couldn't keep straight in it at all. All right, said Samel, but we can buy heat with you, and maybe before we do we can get some things out of you free. He moved in close to her, staring down with sultry eyes. He said huskily, And don't think we can't, baby, and don't think we wouldn't enjoy it. She shivered, but her eyes didn't flinch. She told him steadily, If it's about the ship, you can do what you want and go to hell with it. I watched you up there on that rock, said Samel slowly. Both of you. You have guts, all right. But I wonder. He let his gaze slide down over her long, arrogant body. It would be a pity to spoil that. The girl Sada pushed her way out from the crowd. You big red son of a she-shag! Look at us! Look at this lousy cave and those boxes of heat-stones that wouldn't keep a rat-pup warm! And then think of these swine sitting up there on their plateau, fat and happy, toasting their feet! They drove us out here to starve and freeze. They're robbing the gullies of heat-stones. Listen to those kids crying. They haven't been warm since they were born. And whose fault is it? And you worry about spoiling that yellow vixen." Samel said pleasantly, "'Shut up that screeching.' He shoved the girl aside hard enough to sit her down on the stones, and then knelt beside the captain's daughter. He pulled her head back by the yellow hair and looked down into her eyes and said, "'But she's right. Pretty soon there aren't going to be any more heat-stones at all. Pretty soon we're all going to die of the cold. But you won't. You up there on the plateau. You can watch us freeze on the rocks and feel pretty smart about it, and you'll have the ship." He drew his breath in, sharp, as though something hurt him. His horny lids dropped and his lips twisted like a child about to cry in pain. His hand tightened suddenly in the girl's hair, jerking her head back hard on the taut curve of her neck. He slapped her twice across the face and let her go and stood up, backing off and trembling. "'You'll have the ship,' he whispered, "'for always.' Kirk got up. He felt sick, and there were red clouds across his eyes. The captain's yellow daughter. He'd cuffed her himself. Why did this happen to him when somebody else did it? It was a hell of a world, and he was lost in it. All he knew was that he wanted to hit Samel hard enough to kill him. Instead, somebody hit Kirk from behind with a sap, not very hard. He fell on his face. From a great distance he heard the girl Sada screaming, "'You and your silly ship!' What does a ship matter when we're all going to die?" "'It matters,' Samel's voice was husky and queer. "'It's the beginning and the end. What it has in it belongs to us. It would make us fat and warm and strong, so that we could rule the whole world. 
My father died trying to reach it, and his father before him, and his father before that. The ship matters. It's everything. It was still in the cave. It was as though his voice had wiped it clean of sound. Kirk shivered, and in the silence the babies cried, a thin, wailing lamentation to the cold. Kirk got up on his knees. "'Wait a minute,' he said thickly. "'Wait. You're going at this wrong. We all are. Wait, and listen to me.' Samel looked at him as though he'd forgotten Kirk existed. Somebody said, "'Shall I fix him, boss?' Samel started to nod, and then something in Kirk's face changed his mind. He put up a good fight out there. Let him talk. Kirk got his feet under him. His head throbbed, and falling on his bandaged wrist hadn't done it any good. But at least he could see and talk. He was scared, because what he was going to say was against everything he'd been taught since he was born. But he had to say it. There might be a lot of things wrong with it, but basically it was right, and he knew it. He knew Jock Randall would have said it, too. He did not look at the captain's yellow daughter. Listen, he said loud enough so that everyone could hear him. You're wrong about one thing. We don't have heath stones up there on the plateau. Not the people like me, the little guys, uh, the Hans. We starve and freeze just like you do, and our babies cry just as loud. And we sit like you do, looking at the ship and wondering. He took a deep breath. They were watching him, not believing nor disbelieving. Just listening, feeling him, waiting for something he said to hit them so they'd know whether he was lying or not. Some of us have wondered a lot lately about that ship. The officers don't let us near it. They never have. No nearer than you out here in the gullies. But somebody did get close to it. One man who believed in what he was doing, and he saw— He told them what Jock had seen, thinking about Jock's blood running red through his fingers and the fire dying in his eyes. I'm a ship's man. I've been taught to hate and fear you. You killed my friend. But the officers killed my father without even trying to save him. And I think we're fools, we Hans and you Pyrutes. We're all just people with empty stomachs and cold backs and kids that never get warm. Why should we kill each other at those walls? He had them. He could hear the mob suck its breath in like one man. Samel's eyes were hot enough to burn. Kirk cried out, "'It's the officers we ought to hate. It's the officers who hold the ship and hide the heat stones in it. It's the officers we ought to fight, not each other.' The mob screamed out of a single throat. Out of the tail of his eye Kirk saw the yellow girl spring up. Her hands were clenched, and her face was a mask of horror, of hatred, and a strange pleading. She was saying something, but the mob yell drowned her words, and when it died down somebody had the girl holding her arms and her mouth. "'All right,' 
said Sabel hoarsely, and licked his lips. All right. What are you going to do about it? What's your scheme? I'm going to take you there, the secret way. I'm going to take you to the ship, so that we can break the officers and live together. He did not look at the captain's yellow daughter. The northern escarpment of the plateau fell sheer into a deep gorge. Kirk led them into it. Samel and six hands of Pyrut's men, and the yellow girl with a strip of hide to gag her mouth. The darkness had come down so thick and black that pupils at their widest spread could hardly make anything from the starshine. They went slowly, but almost without sound. Kirk watched the dead ship thrusting high above them against the cold stars. Presently he stopped and whispered, Here, I think. They stopped. Kirk went alone to the cliff wall and felt along it. His hand slipped behind a curtain of moss into a crack barely big enough for a man's shoulder. There seemed to be a blank wall beyond, but he felt sideways and found that Jock had been right. There was a way. He went back to Samel. It's there. Come on. No. Samel caught his arm. He was looking up at the broken ship on the cliff top, and he was trembling. Wait, he whispered. I want to know this, to keep it. Kirk followed his rapt stare. The ship, brooding over the plain, dominant even in death. The ship that had brought them, officers and Hans, in some strange forgotten way from some forgotten place, and died in the bringing. The ship. Untouchable. Kirk shivered violently, his heartbeats choked him, and then Samel was speaking, no louder than a whisper, to the night and the ship. We came from the sky, following, hunting. It had power and gold in its belly, and they kept us from it. They kept us outside, away from the ship, and we starved and froze and waited, and now we're going in." He caught his breath between his teeth and shuddered. And now we're going in. Kirk whispered, What are power and gold? I don't know. Something in the legend. Something men live for and die for. We'll know soon. We'll know soon, Samel. Remember the bargain. No killing or plundering among the Hans. Samel smiled, but the muscles ran hard along his jaw. If you're telling the truth, there won't be any reason for it. We'll let the officers decide whether they die or not. Samel started forward. The ship, he said softly and laughed. <laughs> the ship. They went toward the cleft in the rock. Somebody said, Hey, it's warm in this gorge. Kirk realized that he wasn't cold and wondered why. Then he smiled bitterly. Sure, the officers had found a vein of heat stones, probably just under the soil where they were standing. The gorge had never been a source of the stones. 
the crystal rocks that looked just like the ones scattered all over except that they had a tiny light in them and burned you when you picked them up. But the officers must be getting them from here and taking them up to the ship. Too hoard. Most of his superstitious chill went away when he thought about that. Inside the cleft was a shaft leading up, tool-shaped here and there with rusty metal bars set in the rock. Kirk led the way. There was no sound made loud enough to be heard over the wind that blew across the plateau. Kirk and Samel came up out of the shaft and took the two guards from behind easily enough and went on to the ship. Just for a moment, looking down across the plain, thinking about Ma Kirk and Lil and the little ones, Kirk was scared. He let the pirates in. If Samel didn't keep his word, if anything. But nothing would go wrong. There was no reason for it to. He was telling the truth, and once the ship was broken into there was no quarrel between the Pyrutes and the Hans. They were allies against the officers. End of Part 3